Welcome to this episode of Christian Historical Fiction Talk. I'm your host, author Liz Tolsma. I'm so glad to have you along with me because you know if it's happening in the world of Christian historical fiction, we are talking about it right here. Today we have a super guest. I was really looking forward to talking to her. So when I saw that she had a new book coming out, I knew I had to book her right away. And you're going to love her, I promise. Before we get to that, make sure that you're subscribed to Christian Historical Fiction Talk on your favorite platform so that you always know when we have new episodes releasing, which happens just about every week, unless I'm on vacation or life gets in the way, I try very, very hard to have a new episode up every week. And you don't want to miss any of these. We have some great authors coming up and some wonderful topics that you guys have suggested. Also, if you are interested in finding out more about this author and about the book that we're talking about today, please be sure to go to my website, which is liztolsman.com. And there you will be able to find the show notes and more about this author and a link to the book. So that's liztolsman.com for all the information about today's podcast. I did also want to welcome anybody who is a first time listener to the show. I'd like to give you a very warm welcome. And hope that you stick around for some of the chats that we have and some of the interesting discussions that come up. Also, be sure to find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I try to interact with you guys over there so that we can talk about everything Christian historical fiction, about the authors you'd like to have me have on the show, and topics you'd like to hear me cover. So, Check us out over there. Okay, that gets us beyond the preliminaries and down to today's guest. She has a passion for heart-stopping adventure and sweeping love stories, and she weaves fresh takes into romances of times gone by. When not creating dashing heroes and daring heroines, she can be found dreaming of Scotland, indulging in chocolate of any kind, or watching old black and white movies. She's an award-winning author, a Florida native, and she now lives in Virginia with her husband, her daughter, and her very lazy beagle. Please help me welcome Janelle Soselski to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. For those of you who aren't familiar with you, would you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? My name is Janelle Soselski, and I am the author of four, hang on, four, one, two, three, four. This will be my fifth book. I had to count them. Sorry. <laughs> uh, my, first, my fifth uh, full novel called The Ice Swan, and I write historical romances, usually set during World War One or World War II. My upcoming novel is set during World War One and about the Russian Revolution, and it's about a Russian princess who flees the revolution and escapes to Paris where she meets a heart surgeon and they fall in love after a lot of problems together, but it ends happily. So, Well, it wouldn't be a book if there weren't a few problems and a few stumbling exactly. blocks. The exactly. Because you want to have a story that's got some action and will they, won't they? But I also like having that at the end that, yes, it's going to end happily. I'm all about that. 
<laughs> well, that's good to know that there will be a payoff for the readers at the end of the book, although maybe there's some angst along the way. Exactly. I think life is too hard as it is, so we need more happy endings. That is for sure. Especially lately, happy endings are a very, very good thing. Exactly. So tell us a little bit more detail about the book, The Ice Swan. Well, uh, like I said, it's set during the Russian Revolution, and it starts off with a Russian princess who has to flee her homeland because the Bolsheviks come into power, and they are basically killing anyone who is related or supports the czar. And so they were called white emigres, and they had to flee Russia or else they would be killed, and they had to escape, and they many of them fled all over the world, and many of them ended up in Paris and kind of starting their own little Russian communities. And so Svetlana is her name. She flees with her family to Paris, where they have to start over, you know, where they were once living in a palace. They're now living in a basement, just fighting to survive. And they kind of end up in this underground Russian culture with, I guess, what would be the beginning of uh, the mobsters. And they get into some trouble there. And then she ends up meeting a heart surgeon who's treating many of the wounded soldiers from the war at a Paris that's been set up there in Paris. And she ends up meeting him and he is immediately smitten with her and she wants nothing to do with him. But he is relentless in his pursuit. And eventually she comes into some trouble. And I don't think I'm going to give away the plot by saying that he proposes a marriage of convenience to help her get away from her problems. But unfortunately, or fortunately rather for the plot, the problems continue to follow them and they have to figure it out while also falling in love by the end of the story. That sounds so good. I read a few of the early reviews of the book, and some of your early reviewers said that they picked it up because it talked about Russia and the Russian Revolution. And I took Russian history in college, and I'm a huge Russian history buff, Russian Revolution. And I'm like so excited about this book because it deals with the Russian Revolution. Mm-hmm. And so interesting that time period and how everything happened and how it all fell apart for the Tsar and his family yes. and the em- entire imperial family. Yes. It was a horrible time. And I had always known the story of Anastasia and the tragedy of the Romanovs and stuff, but I didn't realize that it coincided with the Great War and that Russia was fighting in the war, but then they had to stop and deal with their own revolution that was going on at the same time. And then I never really understood why the Romanovs were overthrown and why the Bolsheviks came into power and, you know, what was happening socially and politically and I was watching this mini series on Netflix. It's called A Road to Calvary. And it's about these two aristocratic sisters who have to basically start over and learn how to survive once the monarchy has been toppled and what happens when the Bolsheviks come into power. And that was the inspiration behind this story 
it's nothing like the miniseries, but it sparked that interest in, oh, I never thought about what happened to all these aristocrats and noble people once the czar was assassinated. They ended up having to flee their country. I, I had no idea. I never put all of those facts together. So it was really interesting diving into it and how much it changed the entire country. And they really haven't recovered from it, I guess. So it, it was really neat to explore. Oh, I'll bet it was cool to dive into all of that really rich history. And yeah, the mm -hmm. narrow, well, I was going to say narrow escapes, but the way that the Tsar and his family almost escaped on more than one occasion, yeah. King George in England was ready to accept them as refugees. And then the kids came down with the measles. And so they weren't able to leave mm -hmm. and didn't make it out of the country. And yeah, it was horrible. It really, really was. Absolutely horrible. I mean, it, it's a shame that they turned a blind eye to the suffering of their people in their country. And so, I mean, no wonder their people revolted against it. But at the same time, it's horrible what their ending was. It, it didn't have to be like that. But it was. It was terrible. Yeah, there was so much socially and politically that you could dive into. I think that's why so many people are so interested in that time period. Yes. And like you said, yes. it went on to affect the world, even down to the today and the world that we know yes. it is the way it is because of what happened in 1917 in Russia. I know. It's crazy. And I mean, only the opening chapter is set in Russia. The rest of it is set in Paris and Another location. So I don't linger in Russia, but the effects of what were happening are carried throughout the story. Just trying to imagine what the fears that these people were living with as they fled their home country to never return again. And it is sad, but hopefully I gave it a good ending. I'm sure you did. I've read your books before. I know you're a fan of those happy endings as we all are. So. Yes. Yes. <laughs> something, something happening happy for Russians, which I think they... They need sometimes. So you don't linger in Russia, but you do examine the Paris underbelly where um, yes. Svetlana has to flee to. What was that yes. research like? Oh, I loved that. I got the idea for that when I watched the Anastasia show on the theater show on the stage. And there is a, a sequence where they go to this Russian club in Paris and it's all these exiled duchesses and counts and barons and they're drinking vodka, you know, like fish. And they're singing about the good old days of Russia and how they can't wait to get back there. And they're just completely delusional about how great things were and how they can't wait to get back there while they're selling all of their jewels just so they can get a loaf of bread to eat. And I thought that is an amazing juxtaposition. And I really wanted to explore that more. So I, I came up with my own underground club that may or may not be run by the Russian mafia and put in some seedy characters. And it, it gave me a chance to have a nightclub, you know, where they're singing and dancing and drinking and gambling. And so you're showing all this fabulous wealth, but it's kind of a cover to these people, they, they have no money anymore. But boy, they wish they were back in good old Russia. So I loved exploring that and being able to research it. And a lot of it I just made up. 
but it was based on some truth because, you know, they came into these new cities and had to establish their own communities. So it made sense that perhaps some unsavory people kind of took advantage of that and said, oh, come, come, I'll take care of you. I'll take care of you. But they're doing it for their own gain. So I liked being able to dive into something a little bit seedier that we may not know so much about. In your book, the hero and heroine end up having to flee Paris and go to Scotland. I hope I'm not saying too much, but I read that somewhere on the back cover or one of the reviews. Yeah, or it's on the back cover. Oh, it's out there. And they were being chased by the Bolsheviks. Is that based mm-hmm. in history? I did not realize the Bolsheviks would have chased them all the way to Scotland. I inflated that a little bit for my own plotting purposes. I mean, the Bolsheviks, they were chasing down people trying to kill a lot of these aristocrats. You know, they would find them in train stations trying to flee and murder them right there on the platform and stuff. So they were ruthless. And I would assume if they were a big enough fish, then yeah, they would probably chase them down and get them. But would they chase them all the way to Scotland? Eh, I don't know. I... But for the point of my story, yes, I needed them to chase them no matter where they went. The title is The Ice Swan. Is there any significance to that title? Yes, it's, there's a couple of different meanings behind it. When you first meet Svelana, she is very Russian. She is very standoffish and rigid to the point of being called cold. And when you learn about her, you realize why she is the way that she is. And so when she's also a ballerina, even though she wasn't, she's a princess, but she wasn't related to the royal family. But in Russia, their, their titles are handed out a little differently than what we're accustomed to with the British system. But she was nobility. And at the time, the aristocrats, they loved being a part of ballet and and dancing and stuff. So she was a ballerina. And when she goes to Paris, she has to find a new way to earn money for her family. So she starts dancing at this seedy underground Russian club. And so she becomes known as the ice swan, the dancer. But by the end, she thaws out a little bit thanks to our hero. That's really interesting. I love that different meaning behind it. And I did not realize that the nobility was so into the ballet. I realized they loved to watch it, but I didn't realize they actually participated in it like that. That's very interesting. Yes. I found that out in my research. I was reading a book. It's called Natasha's Dance by Orlando Fig. And it's a really big book, but it's got a lot of really good information in it. And I was surprised to learn that so much of the nobility actually participated in the ballets and the dramas and and they loved it and they would perform for the czar and it was a big deal to perform in front of the czar. And even though they may not have gone to join a company and, and toured and stuff, they would still take classes and become dancers and they really prided themselves on it. Even today, you know, the Russians are known for their ballets. So it's been a really big deal. And that was something interesting that I could include a little, a little fact that I don't think most of us know. And that's the neat thing about historical fiction is the authors find these little tidbits and can slip them in. And we as readers get to learn a little bit more about 
some unknown history, perhaps. And that's what makes it a lot of fun. Exactly. And sometimes I've had readers say, oh, this would never happen. And I think, no, 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 it's actually true. You know, sometimes truth is stranger than fiction. We don't think that it could have happened, but it really did. That's for sure. That's why I always put it at the end of my books and appreciate authors who put it at the end of their books. The author's notes say, this is what was factual. This is what I made up. This is what did happen. Mm -hmm. This is what could have happened. Yes. That's always good to have. You've written both world wars, both World War I and World War II and times after them. Which time period is your favorite? (laughs) It depends on which one I'm writing. I love both of them. At the moment, I'm favoring the Great War. I love World War II. There's so much history there. There's so much fascinating stuff to talk about, so many stories that we haven't uncovered. But I've felt myself pulled more towards the Great War in the past few stories that I've told. It's not as explored as World War II is. So I find that there's a lot there to uncover, a lot of stories that we we don't know about, a lot of things that happened. There was such a, a change. Like that war changed the entire landscape of the world, politics and society and economy and technology. Everything changed because of that war. And it is absolutely rich in possibilities. So I love being able to explore them. Plus, it's not something that, at least here in America, that we talk about that much because we only entered the war in the last year. Unlike many other countries, they were fighting it for four years. So here in America, we don't know that much about it. So I love being able to talk about things that we don't get so much in our history classes and bringing those little known stories to life, to learn about our history and to learn about the amazing things that people did at a time period that we just don't talk about that much. And because it's a much older war, we don't have as, well, there are no survivors left from that war anymore. I think the last one died just a couple of years ago. So unlike the World War II, where there are still veterans left and who can tell their stories, I feel like the voices from the Great War kind of fading away. And I don't want them to. I want people to remember them and to remember the atrocities, but also the bravery and the heroism that went on to it. And yeah, it was Down Abbey that got me interested in it in the first place. So I fell in love with the Edwardian period. And so I just, I've loved being able to stay in that world. Definitely. I think a lot of people have gotten interested in that time period because of Downton Abbey. So very good to kind of work that channel and meet that need that people are clamoring for more of that stuff. Exactly. Now, this book is pretty long. It's about 400 pages long for the print copy. Was there a risk in doing such a long book? Is this the longest one you've ever written? I honestly don't know what the page count is. I usually set out with a goal of 100,000 words. And whether it's less or more, it's not something that I dwell on. I just tell the story until it's done. And then it's up to my editors to say, okay, you need to pad it a little bit more or we need to cut out some stuff. Luckily, I haven't had to do either one in my past couple of books. So I just write until I feel the story has been told. Okay, so on to some fun things. Not that your book isn't fun or... (laughs) 
right? All this history isn't fun, but I have the thinking stuff, right? The thinking stuff, but lighter subjects. Maybe that's a better way to put it, right? I happen to know that you have a chocolate obsession, which I happen to share. Where did you hear that from? <laughs> okay, so here's the big question dark milk or white? Oh my gosh. It really depends. More often than not, I will reach for milk. A girl after my own heart. Yes. <laughs> yes. But I love all, like, I love dark chocolate with a salted caramel. Oh. <laughs> you know, or I like white chocolate with strawberries. So it really just depends. But usually I reach for the milk. And I hear that you love to bake, especially with chocolate. So what's your favorite chocolate dessert that you make? Okay, this week, just a couple of days ago, I made a big batch of homemade chocolate chip cookies and I threw in toffee pieces and white chocolate chips as well. That's probably my number two. My number one favorite chocolate thing is called a chocolate chip cream cheese pound cake. Oh, <laughs> I, I just put on five pounds hearing the name. <laughs> I know. And it is, oh, but it is so worth it. We've had this recipe for years and my mom got it from a friend of hers, like, 20 years ago. And it's now become like the thing that I make. So I make it all the time. It's the thing that I give out as gifts, you know, and it's, it is amazing. And you can drizzle just a little bit of not drizzle, but powdered sugar on the top. And that's all it needs. It, it, it oh. oh, it's amazing. I love it. Sounds really, really good. It is. <laughs> <laughs> did you ever have a character? Did you ever write a character that loves chocolate as much as you do? No, but I should. You should, for sure. I should. I've I've had them had my dislike of coffee and, and tea. I've had that in there, but I haven't had my love of chocolate, I don't think. Because at the time, well, no, that's not true. Well, sort of. So chocolate wasn't as prevalent as it is now. You know, they would like it was a big deal when they would give soldiers the chocolate bars and stuff. And they would have their hot chocolate to drink on the, the war front and stuff. But, oh, yeah, I should do that. Okay. <laughs> You're welcome. I'm do it. <laughs> you know, right? Now, you told me before we came on the air that you have been really, really busy with lots of stuff going on, not only the release of the Ice Swan, but what else are you working on? What's up next for you? Oh, my goodness. So I am right in the middle of edits for my next novel that's going to be coming out next spring. And it's the book that I wrote last year during the pandemic. So it was a crazy time to be writing. Very, very stressful. So edits have been very interesting this go around. They've been a lot tougher because at the time I was writing it, it was incredibly stressful. So I'm finding that my edits on this round is... It's a little more work than what I'm used to. It's going to make the story amazing, but it's also frustrating when you see them. You're like, oh, I should have I should have known that when I first wrote it. But so right in the middle of edits for that, I'm trying to write. It's going to be a duology. So when I'm not editing, then I'm trying to finish writing the second book in the duology while working on the cover art and getting all of that done. And then I'm also working on a novella project with Amy Runyon and Rachel McMillan. It's trying to get that done and get that out next year. 
So yes, it's been very busy here, but all good stuff. But it's all just happening all at the same time. It's funny how you go through lulls where, where nothing is happening and then bam, everything happens all at the same time. Always the way that it happens. It's just like, yes. why couldn't these editors just spread it out a little bit for us? Right? Because <laughs> right? I want to focus on my release, you know, and get excited about that. But then I'm over here like doing edits and getting stressed out about that. So, but that's just how the timeline works out sometimes. It very often does. And I don't think listeners always realize that while we have a book releasing, we're probably writing the next book or editing the next book. And so we're like mm -hmm. way past that book that's just been released. We're in a whole nother world, a whole nother yes. place. And yes. yes. So I mean, I wrote Ice Swan two summers ago. What's amazing. You can remember the characters' names. <laughs> I know. Sometimes I have to flip through the book and like, oh, okay, that's what they're called. That's what they were doing. I forgot because right. it's been two years. Yeah, it does. It it gets away from you. And you're like I said, you're beyond that already. And then the book comes out. You're like, oh, yes. wait a minute. What happened again? I forgot. <laughs> right. Right. People are going to ask me questions and I don't know what I'm talking about anymore because yeah. I've already like written a whole other book in the meantime and marketing for this other thing. Yeah. So if people would like to connect with you, where can they connect? The best place is to find me on my website, which is just JanelleSoselski.com. And on there, it has links to my Facebook and Instagram and all that good stuff. It also has links of where to buy my books. I try to be on Facebook and Instagram and to keep people up to date what I'm doing and what I'm baking <laughs> uh -oh, and all that stuff. So that that's probably the best way is my website. Any last words for the listeners? I hope you enjoy Iceland and it helps cool you down. Fabulous. Thank you so much for joining us, Janelle. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Unfortunately, we have run out of time today with Janelle as always, she is a delightful guest and one we'll have to have back on our show very soon. You'll want to be sure to check out her book, The Ice Swan. If you'd like to find out more about Janelle about The Ice Swan or find a handy link to the book, then check out the show notes over on my website, which is liztolsma.com. Next week, we are going to have author Naomi Craig join us. Naomi is the author of biblical fiction, an avid reader, a pastor's wife, and mom to an amazing young lady. She loves reading the Bible and imagining how things were at the time. She keeps busy by volunteering at the church, homeschooling her daughter, and trying to stay on top of the mountains of dishes. And so she's going to grab a cup of coffee and sit down with us and chat about her new release, Rahab's Courage. This is a fresh take on the character of Rahab in the Bible. And so you're going to want to be sure to be around for that conversation that we're going to be having with Naomi Craig right here next week. Remember that you can also connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So be sure to join the Christian Historical Fiction Talk conversation over on those platforms as well. I know that you all have 
busy lives. And I thank you so much for taking the time out to listen to the show. And I appreciate your sharing it with other people. Have a great week and we will see you next time.